Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. All right, Paul. I feel like I say all right, Paul, now all the time. Uh, you That's, know, we're doing a little catch up. I got rid of one crutch and replaced it with another. <laughs> now I don't have to say welcome to the Tech Service Podcast anymore because we've got Haley to do that for us. But, That's right. But now I just go, all right, Paul. So, okay, maybe one day we'll come up with a new intro. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. All right, Paul works. Yeah. We're cruising along here now. If you listened a couple of weeks ago, you heard us talk about technical difficulties. Yeah. Uh, we, we did learn that one outlet in the studio creates this really excellent digital sound. Yes, it is an excellent digital sound. However, it is terrible in headphones or in a car. Oh, yeah. And so we recorded this episode once. So this is the copy. And, you know, the copy is yeah. never as good. Never as good as the original. When you copy that tape, copy that song. You know, but we're going to give it a go. See, now probably a month have you ago. you seen Multiplicity? That's kind of what I, I feel have, like where yeah. we're headed. Yeah. My favorite quotable line from that movie I can't do here on this podcast, <laughs> but it's the copy of the copy. <laughs> and um, he reports back to the original some activities he had performed. But yeah, that is my favorite quotable line from that movie. Sooner or later, I'm back in the office, but we need the element of surprise. So if we just do it right away, our CFO will know what's up. He's waiting for it now. Yeah, he's on guard. Hannibal's our guy. He puts together a good plan. So I've been working with him, and we'll see what happens. So about a month ago now, we did a rerun. Shame on us. No, there was a method behind it. Yeah, and it was the coatings under insulation, and we mainly focused on a NACE standard, the SPO-198. Afterwards, a little birdie told us that there's an international standard that is gaining a lot of spec position in the petroleum and petrochemical industry. And when we looked up this standard, well, it was blatantly obvious why this uh, was taking <laughs> right. uh, some spec uh, position here. And that's, uh, that's because it's the ISO 19277, and that is uh, the Petroleum, Petrochemical, and Natural Gas Industries qualification testing and acceptance criteria for protective coating systems under insulation. You can tell that this was a large group of people who put a title together like oh, it's, that. It's a long title. It's yeah. a mouthful. But it does give us some more specifications and some more things to look at. We wanted to compare it a little bit to the SPO 198, but let's talk a little bit about the ISO 19277, Paul. You know, Jack, one of the first things that I noticed as I was looking through the categories here, you know, they have it listed as their general ones of CUI, one, two, and three. They really do line up well with the NACE SPO 198 classifications of one, three, and four. Sure. And in those categories, they all start at negative 45 degrees, which is the cryo, but the classification one Yep, that brings you up to 60 degrees Celsius or 140 Fahrenheit. When you look at CUI 2 with the 19277, you're up to 150C or 300F. And then when you look at, that's the same as CS3, you know, for the carbon steel under insulation for the 198. And then category 3 is the same as category 4, that negative 45 to 204, 205 degrees Celsius. And then one of the things with this specification that they talk about is they don't really get into above 204 degrees Celsius. And why they don't do that is a couple reasons. 
we feel like you don't see that exposure a ton in this industry of under insulation higher. But then the last time we did this, Paul, you, you had a really good point about moisture presence at that temperature. That's right. Once you get above that 400-ish degree Fahrenheit temperature, that 204, 205 degrees Celsius, you're really not looking at wet surfaces. So you've eliminated that leg of the corrosion triangle. So if we don't have moisture, we're going to dramatically decrease the corrosion rate. And at these elevated temperatures, as long as it's continually operating at those temperatures, the moisture stays away. Now, if you're a cyclic condition, that's really where you start to see the accelerated corrosion, where it allows the moisture to penetrate down. It gets in contact with the service. They cycle back up. Now you're hot and in contact with the service. Yeah, this standard also gives you a situation where you look at the uh, CUI classification for cryogenic exposures. And all it does at that point is extend the negative temperature down to negative 196 instead of negative 45. That's right. Really, all we do to get into the classifications for the cryogenic environments is we just extend that negative temperature, the low end temperature down to negative 196. All the high end temperatures remain the same. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind with that is that the cryogenic service changes the test procedures a little bit, where when they do the cyclic testing in the ISO 19277, you're cycling through colder temperatures than you do with the standard CUI 1, 2, and 3. Because we always say that the CUI is under, you know, considered immersion type service, it's there are a handful of tests that we do to try and determine whether or not the coating would be suitable for the service. In the ISO 19277, two things that are important that they test is they do a salt spray. So they do it at the applied and conditioned temperature where they're there for 720 hours, but then they bump it up to heat condition. And that's where they're going to bump it up to those high end of the temperatures within each one of those classification ranges. They also do it for water immersion. So we do about 3000 hours at the applied and conditioned temperature and about 2000 hours at that heat condition temperature. I find that really interesting because they're definitely covering all their bases. They sure are. And that's one of the big differences. The results that are permitted when you look at the 19277 document, they don't allow for any defects. No, there's no acceptable failure criteria at all. Right. So when we're looking at, you know, they reference other ISO standards that you're going to do for your atmospheric testing, your salt spray testing, your water immersion testing. But the minimum performance criteria is perfect. You have to have no defects at those conditions. Yeah, and they use the ISO 4628 to determine that. And the different sections of the ISO 4628 lay out how to identify like a blister, rust, those kinds of things. And in this standard, you're not allowed to have any blistering, any rusting, any break in the film, any anything. The only thing that is allowed and acceptable for passing criteria is at the scribe where they scribe the panel you're allowed a minimum, right? a very, very minimum amount of creep under the coating at that scribe. And it's a sign of what this segment of the industry is looking for. You know, this is geared at the petroleum industry. There's a lot of extreme temperatures, a lot of extreme pressures that they're dealing with, a lot of remote areas, and a lot of areas where safety is even more of a high priority you know, when you're looking at offshore platforms mm -hmm. or a refinery, those safety concerns jump even higher than they do at a lot of standard chemical facilities just because of what it is they're working with or the locations that they're working at. It makes it difficult for people to evacuate from an offshore rig. 
Sure. So they want to make sure that it is as safe as possible. So therefore they look at these and say, it's hard to get in and repair. It's hard to get in and inspect. So let's make sure that we have the most perfect system that we can design based on what we know today. Well, sure. Let's think about this here to repair a coating on your insulation. You are not only involving your painter, you're now involving multiple trades because you have to have one trade come in and remove that insulation. Right. And then you have the other trade come in and do the paint repairs. And then you have to have the original trade come back in and put the insulation back on. That's right. And you might be doing that on a moving offshore platform. You exactly. Know? Just everything makes it more complicated. So they have set in a very stringent set of requirements. Everybody's familiar with our Carbothane 134HG. But what we did is we took that and we put some more UV resistance in there. And that's where we got the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. This exceeds the SSPC coding specification number 36, level 3A. That is the highest you can get. Can't get any higher than that. So this is the top of the line UV resistance that you can get in a polyurethane. It is suitable for your AWWA OCS systems uh, 5, 6, and 7. But basically, you would want to use this anywhere where you want exceptional UV resistance, color and gloss retention. This is your product, the Carbothane 134 UV Ultra. Over the years, as I've looked at different standards, I've often thought sometimes when you get to a certain standard or a test procedure, where it's like, oh, somebody just made that up and then they wrote it down. <laughs> and, and to a certain extent, I love the thermal cycling test they do as a part of this standard because it is easily quantifiable. It is easily performed everywhere. Yeah. But basically in this ISO 19277, when they test for thermal cycling is they heat the panel up to the maximum temperature allowed under those different categories. Right. Then they immediately dump it in ice cold water. And they go back and forth and they do cycles with this. And then again, the pass criteria is zero for rust, blisters, etc. There's not a lot of official global test procedures that you could do in your kitchen. Yeah. And we, this could, is one of them. We could, uh, you would have to have a baking sheet you didn't care about. Right. And you know, a good hood over your oven. Right. Right. But you, yeah, you heat your steel up to that temperature and then you dump it in a bucket of cold water. Can I tell you the griddle that I just got? And I use my infrared thermometer on it all the time and, and it regularly gets up to 600 degrees on my stove. And I don't want to do this test on it because I don't want to see it warp or bend, you know, but it is three eighths inch steel. And man, we made some really good fried rice on it. Uh, I was going to say uh, steaks. When if, you're you, get, if you're getting up to 600 degrees, I'm coming over for steaks. It was fantastic. A minute and a half on each side will be good. Yeah. I want it mooing and I want to know its name. So then additionally, they go here and they look at some cyclic testing as well. Now, what they do here is they look at some dry and wet. They do basically for CUI 2 and 3. And what they'll do is four hours in a hot and wet environment. So they'll be at that 150 degrees C for CUI2 or 175 C for the CUI3. And they'll do that for four hours in a hot, dry environment. And then they'll do four hours of a hot, wet environment. And then they'll do 48 hours of ambient environment. They'll repeat that entire cycle six times. And then they do that 15 times. Talk about a real world scenario. 
Well, yeah, because you're trying to mimic all the different ups and downs that you're going to see realistically in real life. And again, acceptance criteria, zero. No blisters, cracking, flaking, rust, any of that stuff, zero. Minimal again at the creep. But basically, you know, if this product passes the stringent testing that is in ISO 9277, it's not going to have a problem under insulation. Same for the NACE SPO 198. That's right. And we've covered the SPO 198 document before. There's a lot of great testing procedures in there as well. A lot of it is much more specific to the method of the test in the equipment that you use and how you design it, where the ISO document is using some other standard procedures and they're just modifying the process that you do a standard test with. So kind of the same approach to get to the same end result. Just You know, really what we were looking for in a podcast like this one today was to let you know that there are some other options out there. You know, we typically look at NACE and SSPC, ASTM are the big testing agencies that we deal with in the United States. But ISO is a huge organization. It's a global organization. And they have a lot of comparable test methods and standards that are being used there as well. And honestly, I think one of the major driving forces behind the nascent SSPC merger was to be able to be more easily recognizable and in line with agencies like ISO. If you're not familiar with the ISO standards, sometimes in old paint documents, you see that referred to as the Swedish standards because ISO, you know, is in Switzerland. And a long time ago, early in the industry, there was, you know, we had our domestic United States based certification places, but like ISO, unlike NACE and SSPC, They're more like ASTM where they have standards for everything. Yeah. And so the NACE and the SSPC documents generally come out of the paint industry. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that paint industry folks don't help ISO when they write this. They totally do. They develop the same way. But ISO is recognized as the standard outside of the United States. Right. So you're going to see outside of the United States when you're dealing with global specifications or you're dealing with work outside the United States, you will see this ISO 19277 referenced in those documents. You will see NACE start to show up Mm -hmm. in in more international documents, but you will see that NACE SPO 198 and a lot of domestic U.S.-based specifications. But it's good to know both of the different documents because that way you're not thrown for a loop if you get a specification that's one that you're not familiar with. If you're familiar with the ISO document and you get a NACE specification, we talked about that the last time we talked about corrosion on our insulation. And if you're used to seeing the NACE, now if you see the ISO, you know basically the same thing, a little bit different, but you'll have the information there. And again, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to Paul and his guys at technical service at carvaline.com. You can also get us on the chat. We're available normal business hours, seven to five central Monday through Friday. Just go to carvaline.com and that little chat bubble is going to pop up in the lower right-hand corner. Yeah. It'll ask you pretty quickly if you need some help. Yep. So That's the coverage of the international standard ISO 19277 covers corrosion under insulation for petroleum, petrochemical, and national gas industries. So here at Carbline, that's that's our bread and butter. Yep. So for Paul, I'm Jack. Thanks. Have a good one. And so for the Carbline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd We'd like like to thank thank you for your support. support. Who put the line in Carbline?
say Kabbalah.